Mike one, Mike one, isn't this a lot of fun? Uh, oh, I didn't check which number episode we're up to again. We're not Joe Rogan. We don't know how to count. Let's just not do this. Welcome to another edition of Did You America? He's Jeremy. I'm Camfield. Um, for those people who listen to this show promptly, uh, we apologize for the delay. Couldn't uh, do an episode yesterday because uh, Jeremy thought he had uh, COVID. Um, so uh, had to get uh, a doctor around to do the test. I've got to say that when you first text me to say that we were going to have to postpone our recording, um, my immediate reaction wasn't, oh, we're going to be off schedule or even, oh my God, he might have COVID. That's really bad. My immediate reaction was, you're getting a doctor to your house to do a COVID test? I had to drive for one. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I, I literally sent back a reply without any concern for the fact, I mean, he could have been one of these people with a bad immune system and could have been dead by now. My reply was, how bougie are you? you I mean, I went, I know there are different um, testing centers that you can go to. And I've heard some people have, have gone to testing centers that they, they, they didn't have a great experience or they thought they were unreliable. Um, and I, I thought I went to a place which was actually pretty good. Um, but it was more by luck than judgment. The only thing I would say about the place I went to um, to get tested a while ago was it was good in the respect that it was almost like a mini medical because they stick the things up your nose to test for the COVID. But I also, they, they did my uh, blood pressure um, and they got out the stethoscope to check my lungs and had a feel around my neck. It, it, it felt like it was very thorough. And my only disappointment with my COVID test, I know I'm making this all about me, we'll get to you in a second. <laughs> my only disappointment with my COVID test was, uh, touch wood, I'm touching my wooden kitchen table. Um, I've been in pretty good health in the last couple of years. So this was the first time I've been around professional doctors as a non-drinker. And you know, generally, if you go in for anything, you get that question, how much do you drink? And then obviously, no matter, how, everyone lies, right? right? You, always, you just fill out what you think the doctor will consider <laughs> right. an acceptable amount of alcohol to imbibe. So they do this really thorough um, set of tests on me and I'm impressed. And uh, all I'm thinking is, because I don't feel sick, I only went to have the, the test because someone at work when I had a job got a, uh, got a positive COVID test. I'm just thinking, Ask me how much I drink, because this is the first time I get to say to a doctor, <laughs> none, I quit more than a year ago. Ask me, ask me, ask me. I'm thinking, and they're doing all these tests and I fill out this questionnaire and it's not there. And then I sit for 15 minutes and they come back and the doctor says to me, oh, well, you'll be uh, pleased to know, Mr. Canfield, you're uh, COVID uh, negative. And I think my reaction was, yeah, and, and. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> Literally. And, uh, and she says, I do remember, I, uh, my facial expression must have been one of still disappointment because she said words to the effect of, most people are happy when they hear that. Right. And I went, anything else? <laughs> See, I actually had, the last time I went to the doctor before this COVID test, which was like five years ago because I don't go to doctors, I had the opposite experience. I, at the time, I wasn't drinking at all, really, maybe once a month, if that and so I told the doctor, she's like, how often do you drink? I was like, I don't know, maybe like once a month. And she looked at her chart. She was like, I, I need by the week. 
I was like, but I don't, I don't drink one. So we can like, she didn't even believe me. She's like, look at you. You're <laughs> disgusting. You definitely drink. I was like, what, like twice, three times. I was like, I swear, once a week. Now, I smoke every day, but I'm definitely not drinking. Right. My new thing with uh, medical professionals, though, is that I've now understood, although I do still like the I don't drink answer mm. because I haven't been able to say that for, you know, 20 years. Um, the thing I then understood is that really nothing is good enough for them because I had this disappointment at the COVID. I mean, let's look at me saying, yeah, I was COVID negative and I was so disappointed. <laughs> so mad. Um, you were two weeks off. I went to um, uh, I went to uh, for just a, a checkup at the at the dentist, like a routine thing, and uh, it was I hadn't been to the dentist since I'd lived in DFW, so they were doing all of the X rays and right. you know when you go to a new dental surgery. So they did give me the how much do you drink question. I was like, this is payback for my <laughs> see. I consider I had a bad COVID test because right. they wouldn't ask me the drinking question. It turns out that by habit, when they when the dentist asks you that, you're like every day. I mean, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I and I say to them, um, not at all. And then the next thing the dentist did was pull up these X-rays of my teeth and start saying, well, I can see some blackness around there. And I said, yeah. And uh, he goes, well, at worst, it could be a cavity. At best, that might be staining from coffee. And at this point, I said to him, right, back up. I just told you I haven't had a drink in more than a year. And I'm not saying it's forever, but I'm not planning on having one anytime soon. Do not then move to now you have to cut down coffee. That's not part of our arrangement. See, it seems like no matter when or where or why you go to the doctor, there's always going to be one little bad experience. And that's exactly why I got the at-home test because I want to step up the bougieness because when I had to go get my COVID test, when you did, when our coworker got a positive test, I waited like three hours. They jammed the stick up my nose. It was like in the peak of COVID and like they didn't care. They were just like sit in our waiting room. I thought I was going to die. So I figured like, all right, now that I actually am dying, maybe I shouldn't go out in public and get everyone sick. Maybe I should just have them come to me. Right. So anyway, I'm really impressed that uh, Jeremy's getting the doctor round to the house. I mean, <laughs> this is... Uh this is like A-list rock star level medical treatment. See, I saw the other way. I wanted to go. I felt it was like really old school. You know, like I felt like a 1940s kid finding out he had polio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they came to the house for the house call. They're like, what seems to be the problem? I was like, I don't feel good. And they're like, he's dying. He's going to die now. <laughs> but yeah, like I like basically Monday, I... Uh, I, I had like a little bit of a sore throat when I went to, while I was going to bed. I woke up Tuesday just feeling like absolute hell. But of course, you know, I didn't want to admit to myself that I had COVID or like tell work or you yeah. or my friends. You went straight to 1940s polio. Right. I was like, yeah, clearly this is what's going on. You know, I'm going to have to be in a wheelchair rocking the blanket. Look, you're very soon. <laughs> has to be looking like FDR. How about death? <laughs> Was your... My uh, my disappointment at not being asked the uh, the drinking question when I went for a COVID test. Your version of that was the doctor does all the tests and says like you've not got COVID, and you go, "Well, did you bring the wheelchair and the blanket for the polio?" <laughs> I clearly have something, lady. I'm going for a look here. <laughs> well, like I thought I was dying. 
I literally, I was shaking, I was sweating, I was coughing, I had all the symptoms. Well, I, what I also uh, took from uh, your diagnosis was they said, well, you had some kind of virus and you're probably contagious for two days, so you should be fine now. That's another reason why we delayed the recording um, of this podcast. And it's just kind of um, indicative of where we are because of COVID. Because I remember I was a, a reasonably sort of sickly child. I was at the doctor's quite a bit. And um, one of the regular diagnoses was always, oh, Ian's got a virus. And that just became routine. And I think it, it always was. My mum would say, oh, they, they said Ian's got a virus. And they, you know, they'd send you to the, the, the pharmacy to get something stronger than you could get on the shelves. But now, because everyone is so COVID aware, if you get told you've got another virus, suddenly you're, is it West Nile? Am I gonna go blind? What shithole country did this one come from? <laughs> right, because normally just he's got a virus was like, well, I'm gonna take these pills and it will go away. Just a nondescript virus was fine, but now everyone's virus. Yeah, I even asked her, I was like, well, if I don't have COVID and you said I'm viral, clearly I'm not an internet star. So what type of disease do I have? <laughs> And she, she says, she's like, oh, we could do a test. It, you know, it, it scans for the top 20 viruses that are out there, but there's like thousands. So there's no point. It could be anything. I'm like, well, now that we know what the coronavirus is, is I, I want to know what this virus is. <laughs> what are the lasting effects? You know, who can I kill? What not? Right, exactly. But um, you aren't feeling yourself going blind, so it's unlikely to be West Nile. It's virus. not West Nile. I can still see, kind of. I am wearing the glasses. Things are getting a little blurry. I'm getting a little sweaty. I think I'm getting a little tired. I think I'm just going to take a little nap. I, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't really heard that much about West Nile virus until I moved to the great state of Texas because it's uh, an annual fear in the summer that a few mosquitoes will show up around Texas with, with West Nile. And um, every so often on the TV, during the height of the pandemic, it would just be COVID, COVID, COVID. And then suddenly they go, oh, and by the way, we still got a few Nile virus, uh, West Nile virus mosquitoes flying around. If you haven't got, if you're not coughing, you might still go blind. Here, you know, everyone's all afraid of coronavirus because like, you know, 200,000 people have died, 8 million people have gotten sick, whatever. People don't, I think people forgot. You, there's two options with West Nile virus. You either die or you survive and you will likely go blind. Is that true? That's what that's what I've read, that people who survive West Nile virus end up going blind. Now, that could be some crazy Alex Jones conspiracy. And if it is, I'm sorry. Wow. But it took I don't us, want we, it. we don't know how many episodes it took us, but we're now officially fake news. And I haven't even, <laughs> moved, I haven't even moved on to the election segment on today, today's podcast. We yet. did it, folks. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> All right. So basically what you're saying is um, if you had a combination of West Nile virus and polio, <laughs> you won't even be able to see yourself pulling off that 1940s polio kid look in the wheelchair with a blanket. I'm currently walking, but no, I think I do have polio and that's my biggest fear is I cannot pull off that look. <laughs> I mean, you have to like you. A, you look a little sickly, but you kind of have to look like a sickly badass to pull off that look. And I would just look like a sick, a sickly, like fat slob. Right. I would look more like the the ladies in, in the Walmart scooters than I would like big, powerful FDR rocking the polio look. <laughs> yeah. To revert to our uh, consistent joke on this podcast, 
People would look at you looking sickly in the wheelchair and go, I thought Walter Becker from Steely Dan already died. Yeah, I guess there's reports that he is dying. Okay, here he is, <laughs> sweaty and gross as ever. <laughs> All right, I, we got a lot of other good stuff to get to, and I'm definitely going to get to uh, some of the uh, listener feedback that we had on today's show. So if you've been in touch via the didyouamerica.com website, uh, stick around. But it would be remiss of us not to do um, a quick bit on the election. Uh, actually, at the time we're recording this, it, it, it may well be that one side um, has uh, claimed the presidency. No, as, as it yet. no, Biden's still not up to the two seventy. No, I'm just waiting. Eventually, I'll have a uh, celebrate. So, get going. Can, <laughs> um, can I put an idea out there that I think everyone could sort of get behind, and that is. Why aren't we using some form of AI to count the election votes? And before anyone goes, whoa, yeah, 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 that's open to corruption. Yeah, 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 okay. But surely it's more reliable now we have hit the depths of conspiracy theories from either side. I mean, it's been four years of conspiracy theory, right? right? Trump's throwing out a load of like, I'm not going because of X, Y, and Z, but without any actual proof. Yeah. The Dems spent four years going, he did this, 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 and this, <laughs> and, then did, proof, right, yeah. and then didn't manage to prove it. So the four years of conspiracy theories have got us to this point. And I just think that... Well, this is this is my this is my bottom line on this. Unless you are an elderly grandma who still writes letters, when was the last time you wrote anything down except for to vote? Right, the pen and paper combo is one that barely exists, and yet when we uh, take part in one of the most important processes for the entire world. It's pen and paper or Sharpie, if you believe the conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, you know, I almost didn't remember how to use a pen. It was weird. I was, I was writing and writing. I was like K A N Y E. I, I don't know how any of these letters work. Well, that's also another point. I mean, I can't vote because you know I'm not American yet. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I might struggle with that by virtue of the fact I don't have a job at the moment. But it's on my list of things to do: get a job, get a green card, become an American, because then you can go at the ceremony where they play Lee Greenwood. Oh. See, I was hoping that they would go with the Hulk Hogan walkout song, I Am A Real American. That would, that would be the move. We can do that at my party. You come out in a Hulk we can, we can do that at my party afterwards. And also, I want a Neil Diamond impersonator to walk on and go, we're coming to America. And don't you, know, let's let's have equal parts and a James Brown impersonator. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. Um, Living so, in America. Of course. Yeah. Did James Brown do that? Yeah, it was James Rocky Brown. Rocky Four. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. comes out uh, before Apollo Creed dies jamming that song. No, you are. You're getting the Apollo Creed treatment minus the death. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, you know, with uh, writing things down on, I mean, if, if I do make a note, and mostly it will just be because I have a random thought of something we should do on the podcast, uh, I do have a pen and paper on my coffee table. I will write it, and if I go back to it five minutes later, I've got no idea what I've just written because my handwriting <laughs> is that bad. Which, again, just aids all of the conspiracy theories. I say that virtually no one writes anything anymore, and when people do, they can't read their own handwriting, so it's got so bad. And does this not all weigh into the idea that maybe the one thing that could bring everyone together in America, apart from me, 
is the idea that artificial intelligence could take over the voting system at this point. I mean, we're the ho- I saw this on one of the late night TV shows. We're the home of Microsoft and Apple and Amazon. What do all of those things do? It's all automated and AI, and yet we can't do it for voting. American Idol can tell you in a matter of an hour who their winner is. Right. <laughs> We're now on day, what, four? Well, also, the other thing is, and I don't want to pick out like specific states, but I'm about to. On, on the, the first day of the election that you know everyone was thinking that we, that we might get a winner, I was watching what was going on, and it was super close, and I was kind of expecting that. And then I think it was uh, Pennsylvania that was uh, at that time a key state, and they just stopped counting at 10.30 because everyone went home. And I got a text message from one of my buddies going, how long before you start saying, what is going on in Pennsylvania? Is there a Brit running that count? Because that, <laughs> admittedly, that is a very British thing and not an American work ethic to do. That on, the, on one of the most important days in American history and one of the most important states for vote counting, they suddenly went, it's 10.30, we're done. It's, we're turning off the lights. We're turning the sign that says close. We'll be back tomorrow. It's bedtime. Right, but that's ridiculous. Like, they can't keep going. And again, a robot would keep going. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I think this is something we could uh, both get on board with. I think it's time we we take advantage of the fact that this is the most technological savvy time in human existence. Right, 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 right. And everything has moved on, you know, so brilliantly. I mean, we are... You know, most people probably listening to this podcast right now are, you know, maybe you're listening to it on Spotify, for example. You're just used to streaming music instantly. That's the world that you live in. The election process is still living in a world of eight-track tape. They're getting tape <laughs> and they're lacing it up from, right. from like reel to reel and, uh, and and doing it that way. And uh, and, and it, just makes, um, it just makes no sense to me. No, it's, uh, it's definitely a major flaw. Uh, I got nothing else to say. I um, it did make me, uh, you know, uh, at the point at which I, I kind of got bored of the election, and uh, you know, everyone shouting from either side. I did um, realize, and this was quite uh, something for me, that the, the TV network Stars, which I believe is quite current, because whenever I put it on, they're showing me advertisements for like the recent Frozen movie, and the fact that the new season of American Gods is apparently on that channel. They also show reruns of Knight Rider, which is the best thing ever. What? <laughs> Don't do your... I heard that. I heard no, that sigh as like we're about to go into another Knight Rider statement. <laughs> My point being is that... I, the so, show's like 30 years old. I know. And this, this adds to my point about the fact that we need to move on to artificial intelligence. Knight Rider, I'm watching an episode from 1983... And I'm absolutely loving it, right? It might have been the episode that I didn't get to watch that night when Halloween yeah. happened on the same night that Knight Rider was the on. Last that, we spoke, that we spoke about in the previous episode where my, my dad made the, uh, made the house go dark because he didn't want to give out candy to people that were trick-or-treating for Halloween. So I'm watching Knight Rider from 1983. And, I'm, and at the time, a talking car was amazing. And a car that could drive itself was amazing in 2020. Any new car talks because it can give you directions. And in 2020, although they haven't perfected it yet, because one of these self-driving cars did kill a person in Arizona in the last couple of years, we do now have self-driving cars. Everyone needs to take a, I mean, to be honest, if Kit still existed now, you could probably just throw all of the ballots into Kit and he'd do the counting for you. Are you claiming that Kit doesn't exist? I think that's probably like... No, Kit exists in all modern cars. That's what I'm saying. So we should just 
the American government should just use Kit. The American government were using Kit in 1983. That's the plot of Knight Rider. Oh my God. <laughs> if you went back and watched this classic TV, you'd realize. <laughs> I'm binging it tonight. I'm telling I'm you. I'm going to learn so much about US government. Also, one other thing I'll say about Knight Rider. So I've been watching a couple of episodes because it's like my antidote from everything. I keep reading all of these, uh, my friends on social media are going, oh, and breathe. I've got to meditate. Oh, it's so stressful. Here I am on stars going, Night Rider from 1983. This is, what, <laughs> this is what's cooling me off. I watched an episode that was that was so emotional, it almost made me tearful at the end. So everyone, everyone who's going so 2020 telling you that the gay wedding in Shit's Creek made you cry, ain't got nothing on this episode of Night Rider that I watched from 1983. What was so emotional about well, an episode the, of Night Rider? Oh uh, well, the background of Night Rider. Was there a gay wedding in that one? No. Oh. Although one of my friends does claim that Knight Rider made him gay. What? Well, no, made him gay. <laughs> he, was, he was really attracted to cars. They told him that's not a thing. He was like, well, I guess I like dudes. No, 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 no. That sounds a bit too conspiracy theory. One of my friends, um, okay, we're going to get into a nature versus nurture gay yeah. conversation based on Knight Rider. No. <laughs> No, one of my one of my friends <laughs> said that the moment that he realized that he was gay was because so Knight Rider is, is about a talking car and David Hasselhoff playing the guy who, who drives the talking car. Right? I'm gay already. Go on. <laughs> and the talking they have a relationship, even though the talking car is a computer. The talking car is the co-star of the TV show, right? right? <laughs> so I don't even remember this, but I only remember it because my buddy told me this. There's an episode of Knight Rider where um, Hasselhoff um, befriends this kid who's from a broken home. And I don't, I don't know what the, what the storyline is, but basically because he's got this new friend who's driving around in the passenger seat of Kit, Kit gets really jealous of David Hasselhoff's new friend. And my buddy claims that he worked out at that point in time that Kit was actually gay and that David Hasselhoff's character and Kit kind of had a, a gay relationship and that made my buddy figure out that he was also gay. Well, I guess that turned me gay too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to be like, yeah, I I got my first boner to Hasselhoff. It would have been way more simple. No, that then happened afterwards. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then when he was in Baywatch, my God, it was just too much. Was there like a like was there an actor who played the voice of Kit? Yeah. Who was that? Do you know? Uh, of course I know. I told you <laughs> when we do the, the spin-off podcast for the, for the 18 and Night Rider. Uh, yeah, his name was William Daniels. Yeah, he was gay. Well, if you can, when you when so when my buddy was explaining this, I was a bit really. But then if you if you go back and watch Knight Rider, Kit is a bit camp. Yeah, like his voice is like Michael. You know, so you know, like David Hasselhoff would be outside of the car, unaware that people were coming down the hill with guns to try and kill him. So it'd be a hugely, and Kit would basically go, and he would talk to David Hasselhoff on his watch, right? right? And Kit would go, Michael, drama coming, men with guns, men with guns, big guns coming over the hill. See, I always, as someone who like knew the show Night Rider, but never actually saw it, I figured like, 
Kit was like more macho. It was like, guns are coming. Clear out the area. No, no, He's no, like, no, oh no. my God, Michael, we need to get out of here. Literally, literally. And the other thing, Kit always very, very concerned with his appearance. So even <laughs> though it was a supercar that could like, there's a scene in the episode I watched where uh, David Hasselhoff's character is in jail. Yeah. And to rescue him, Kit literally drives through the wall of the jail, right? Of course. Because he's a supercar and yeah. he can do things like that. And of course they put Hasselhoff's cell right against the, the wall of the yeah, 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 yeah. So Kit rescues him and he gets in the car. And I forget obviously what the exact line is, but Kit basically goes, Oh my God, all of this dust is doing nothing for my appearance. <laughs> that was definitely the exact You line. know, my, he, he literally says something like, Oh, Michael, if I have to drive through one more wall to rescue you, it's, my circuits are going to be slammed. Did they used to use like the windshield wipers as a hair flip? <laughs> <laughs> See, now, now we've unpacked this and... This is very impressive, Jeremy, because we're talking about a show that you've never seen. I think now we have a greater understanding of how Knight Rider didn't turn my friend gay, but made him realize that, you know, he might be into guys. I think he just turned me gay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we have other stuff to get to. Uh, it's the, uh, um, the Starbucks uh, Red Cups day today. The Holiday Cups are out. I, um, I'm very old school in calling them. Um, red cups because they're not red anymore. They're uh, they're holiday cups. So we need to get to that. Um, and also, um, there's some uh, legalized marijuana talk. And um, oh yeah, we need to get to the uh, the listeners who've been writing in um, because um, someone reminded me that I we did a uh, well I thought it was a great Sean Connery tribute on the previous episode. I'm not quite sure Sean Connery would have loved it. Um, he would have, <laughs> but. Um, but I, but there's a, I, I forgot to interject my Roger Moore story. So it's coming in part two if you're about to hear an advertisement. If you're not, I'll be right back, like quicker than Kit could rescue Michael Knight. All right, this is uh, officially the start of uh, part two of uh, Did You America? Uh, he's Jeremy, I'm Canfield. Uh, as usual, we don't know what episode we're up to, um, but we also know that at the time of recording, we definitely don't have a, a new president because uh, Trump's just issued a statement saying he's never given up. Unlike Nevada, we don't know how to count either. <laughs> hey, before we move on to the other things, I, I do want to say that I did um, I did uh, put together a schedule for Trump TV, right? Because my this is my theory. When he eventually goes he'll just launch his own TV network. Cause he like all of the people that are going, we've had enough. This is his final stand. He's going to be remembered as the person who wouldn't leave the white house. No, no, no. When he, when he eventually goes, tr Trump TV is coming. Oh, so he's going to do now what his initial plan was four years ago. What Trump TV? Yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, that was the plan. You didn't want to be president. I can see, a, I can see a huge T in gold. That's going to be the logo. Right? <laughs> Trump TV. Now a friend and I were, uh, putting together some uh, the schedule of Trump TV uh, yesterday. Um, now I've got it on my phone for uh, what we're going to have on there. Um, so he's going to do a, a daily address at six PM Eastern, which is kind of like what he's doing at the moment. Um, <laughs> maybe from a, a studio set that looks like the White House, so he thinks he's still in it. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, there'll be Trump tour once a week. He does a rally in a, in a, in a, in an arena, but because he's only doing one a week rather than three a day, they go on for like five hours. They will go on longer than Bruce Springsteen concerts. <laughs> so, so essentially he's just Fox news. No, they called Arizona early and he hates them now. <laughs> so he's launching his own right, right. network. I forgot you, they're liberal now. They're yeah, liberal they're now. liberal. You can't trust Fox News anymore. That's why you need that. That's why you need Trump. Like that, in, the, in the meeting, you can't trust Fox News anymore. That's why you need Trump TV. That's our tagline. Donald, that's a little bit long. <laughs> okay, Trump for the truth. Now get it in gold. I just can't wait till he's like, you know, it's really about MSNBC that Rachel Maddow, she really gets it right. <laughs> that Sean Hannity, though, he's a mean, he's a mean person, he's rude. Right, yeah. So he now he now hates Hannity, but it, for uh, Trump TV, he's going to bring Bill O'Reilly out of uh, enforced sexual harassment retirement, right? <laughs> Basically, so- all the harassers, you know, he'll get him, he'll get Alex Jones, just a motley crew of. Dick slap. There'll be a, that'll be a big portion of the daytime uh, lineup. There's going to be a new show called Kids in Cages: The Obama Prisons. That's a documentary. Um, now, the other show that uh, my friend and I came up with, and I don't know if this is a show or just a segment, but we think that there'll probably be at least a segment called "Show Us Your Birth Certificate." <laughs> I think you can make a whole show out of it. And I told you. When I run for president, I'm getting you on my ticket, and we're faking your birth certificate. Apparently, it's very easy. <laughs> and um, because uh, there should be some lightheartedness on the new Trump TV network, how about we have a game show called Build the Wall? <laughs> I'd watch that. Exactly. Hosted by Ellen? Yes. She's because, evil now. Because, because she once had coffee with George Bush and everyone turned against her. And then apparently a few times she told her staff that they weren't doing a good enough job and that made her a bully. I saw a headline yesterday that said, Ellen has lost the most followers in 2020 than any celebrity, which is just hilarious because like all she did was come out as being an angry lesbian, (laughs) which we all should have assumed was her role anyways. (laughs) We We all just acted like she was this friendly, happy go lucky. Uh, sometimes stereotypes are real. So, um, yeah, we'll have a, a game show called uh, Build Build the Wall. That'll be on at eight, right after a daily Trump TV televised version of Did You America? Hey, right? we got a job. Because I, well, I need a job. Right. That's the most pressing thing. And also, I think my reoccurring joke that you look like Walter Becker from CD Dan works way better on TV if people can see you. Yeah, right? I mean, people at this point don't know what I look like. Just assume I'm hairy and sweaty, and that's all you need. And you look like you're about to die. Yeah. Right? So people go like, we thought Walter Becker died. Oh no, he's just on the verge of death. And that has nothing to do with the COVID slash polio that I had this week. No, I just always look this it's way. It's your own personal style. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, let's uh, give you a quick rundown on um, the song of the week before we move on to some uh, listener feedback. So I had uh, Animal by Architects. Jeremy had uh, Blotter Acid Reflux Syndrome from Atmosphere and uh, New York producer Karma by Modsum. Um, my Architects pick, 25%. Oh, okay, okay. New York producer's pick, 75%. What? I got a zero. <laughs> math. You know, with math like that, you could be on Trump TV doing the 2024 election because I have never been so impressed with math 
and maps like I have since I watched, and they're not the Fox, CNN, all of them, any one of those people that stands there were, before it was obvious that Biden was going to win, when they stand there and they know not only the states, but where the different cities are yeah. in the states. How and they know every county? I actually wonder, and I, and I didn't do this because I was in too much of a hurry to get to the Night Rider reruns, but I actually wonder, like I was, the, the math especially when they go, well, hypothetically, Biden's got this amount of thousands of votes here. And if we do this, they do it so quickly. It was astonishing. But then I wonder if I was to record this and watch it back with a calculator, are they just making it up? <laughs> just throwing because, numbers because out. Because there's yeah. so many numbers going out and they make the map look so convincingly colorful. I do what I think you can't do the math that quickly. Uh, my next statement isn't going to be very convincing because of our last segment, but I promise I'm not gay yet. Watching John King run that map gives me the weirdest boner. <laughs> it's impressive. There's right? something about it. He's just all over that thing. He knows every county. Also, I, I haven't, uh, I, I didn't, uh, this is the first election that I've taken huge um, interest in. So I don't know if these people are on the TV ordinarily, but a lot of them I don't remember seeing regularly. Do they just spend four years studying math and geography? So on the big election night, they can show off how good they are. Because in that case, the real winners here are those people that stand with the maps because normally they're done in 24 hours. This is going on for possibly weeks. All those parents dealing with their kids complaining about their math homework and their geography homework being like, no one's ever going to need this. Now they can point to these people and say, see, you can have this job. It's once every four years. It pays out the ass. Go for it. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, your math is uh, definitely on track to be a 2024 election map person because you did figure out that 75% plus 25% is 100%. So therefore, no one has backed blotter acid reflux syndrome by atmosphere. But that could change because we don't finish the song of the week till Monday. Um, so if you want to vote, didyouamerica.com is the place to go. Uh, didyouamerica.com, that's basically the home for everything relating to this show and you can vote for song of the week there. Um, what I would say is that uh, New York producer with his 75% uh, for Karma by Mod Sun, well, yeah, you can be all smug about that, New York producer, but it's the only blue wave you got. Jeremy, I told you not to be political on this podcast. I'm just over here thinking how much I let atmosphere down today. <laughs> uh, you can talk to us at didyouamerica.com. If you want to type, uh, you can hit message us. If you want to be on the show, just click be on the show. And then if you talk at your listening device, you can send us a voice message. Don't be shy. Because when I had a job, it was always fun to get callers on the air when I used to be on an actual radio station. And this is kind of as close as we can get to that. So didyouamerica.com to message us or be on the show. Um, Jose contacted us regarding uh, the, the, the Halloween story I had on the previous episode where we discussed the fact that uh, my dad banned Halloween in our house growing up. So um, we basically had to sit... Um, in darkness with no TV on and, and not move. Um, I likened it to, not that I knew this, but I, I said it must have been like what it was like in World War II where people were scared of German bombers coming overhead. In this case, it's kids coming up your garden path because they want some Twix. Same but, thing. Right, well, for my dad, every Halloween, absolutely. Um, so Jose message 
saying uh, <laughs> he was raised in the Jehovah's Witness household and he knows what it's like to sit through Halloween with lights out and no TV in the darkness. If you think COVID lockdown was hard, you've never lived in a Jehovah's Witness household. Would they witness like candy were murderers? Well, they. I actually went to school with, um, there was um, a Jehovah's Witness and um, uh, what was the, uh, the girl? I can't, I think, uh, Mormon. So there was a Mormon and the Jehovah's Witness in my class at school. And uh, again, like, I'm not criticizing anyone's religion. I'm not religious at all, but if that's your thing and it enhances your life, then, you know, absolutely go for it. Um, But even as a little kid, I I used to feel sorry for those two kids because I worked out as a little kid, they were taken out of so many scenarios in the school because they weren't allowed to be part of certain gatherings and certain holidays they don't celebrate and stuff like that. Right. And, um, but, but they would be made on weekends in the case of the Jehovah's Witness to walk up your garden path and try and sell the Watchtower magazine to you, right? <laughs> or the, the girl that was the Mormon used to stand outside the, the local bank and hand out pamphlets. And I used to think, we had so much fun in school on Friday and you couldn't be part of that, but yet you got to spend your Saturday morning outside the bank giving out leaflets that most people aren't interested in. See, that was the best part of growing up in Texas for me. So I'm Jewish, but they made sure I celebrated all the Christian stuff. Really? Yeah. Like when I remember one year I, uh, I went home from school and like it was around Thanksgiving. So like we had to write down things we're thankful for. And, you know, I was a little kid. So I just copied all the other kids in class. So my mom got and she's like, oh, you're thankful for me. That's so great. You're thankful for your dad. Oh my God, your brother. That's so sweet. Jesus. <laughs> How does my six-year-old Jewish son know who Jesus is? How's, he taught me in school. I don't know. It's very uh, amusing to me that uh, Jose brought the Jehovah's Witness um, uh, comparison into our talk about Halloween. And again, still as an adult, I'm realizing how screwed up some of my dad's life choices were when I wouldn't have questioned them because as a kid, they were just the norm. Because I do definitely remember the Jehovah's Witnesses, including, you know, one of the kids that I went to school with, would quite often walk up our garden path. And when the Jehovah's Witnesses came and knocked on our door, my dad would go answer the door just so he could tell them that he wasn't interested and slam the door in their face. But once a year, little kids walk up the garden path wanting a Kit Kat, and we had to sit in silence because he wouldn't confront them. How messed up is that? I was really hoping you were going to say the one time a year he opened the door and handed out candy was when the Jehovah's Witnesses (laughs) came by. No, I will will say this. They were persistent because they came back again and again and again to have that door slammed in their face. (laughs) Eventually, you were a Jehovah's Witness. No, but I I tell you this. They were so persistent that even as a little kid, um, I remember that the... um, the magazine was called The Watchtower. And I messaged back Jose referencing this. And he said, you know, he's he's broken away, but his mom is still uh, a strict Jehovah's Witness. And every time he goes to visit his mom, she tries to give him the latest edition of The Watchtower. So those Jehovah's Witnesses have got some staying power. Not only did they pretty much every weekend go up our garden path to have the door slammed in their face by my dad, 
20 years later, their magazine is still in print. Every other like music magazine that I used to read as a kid has gone, like no longer exists. But the Jehovah's Witness Watchtower is still going strong. Jose, a little advice. Next time you go to your mom's and she hands you the Watchtower, just start playing all along the Watchtower and be like, see, I'm still religious. I get it. <laughs> uh, Mike messaged off the back of our uh, Sean Connery uh, conversation when we did a great tribute to Sean Connery, um, asking me who should be the new Bond. Um, do you know who Tom Hardy is? Oh, I love Tom Hardy. So, so here's my thing with the new Bond. I don't particularly care, but I, I would say that Daniel Craig has taken it into a space now where it's way more realistic. And if you're going to carry on down that path, the new James Bond, yeah, he needs to be good looking and charming, but there also needs to be a side of him where convincingly you think he could kill you because yeah. there's a bit of a, a psychopath side to Daniel Craig's Bond, right? For sure, for sure. And, 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 it, and if you want to carry on down that path, you can't, you know, like the, when Pierce Brosnan took over, it was like Roger Moore Mark II, and I, and I got that. You, you've got to have an actor, A, who convincingly looks like he might kill you, right? Yeah. But also... The age thing is to be considered, and this is why I think Tom Hardy would be pretty good, because you want someone who's going to be in Bond for like five movies, because that's a good number. For sure. And realistically, five Bond movies are going to be made over the next 10 to 15 years, right? Yeah. So it needs to be someone who is early to mid-30s now, so they can get five Bonds under their belt by about the age of 50, because once you go over 50, you're, go you're becoming Roger Moore in A View to a Kill, and no one needs that again. Yeah, you know, I think historically they've always liked that very professional, buttoned-up man of mystery type right. book. So, you know, I was intrigued when, like, when there were the Idris Elba rumors. Right. You know, I thought, like, you know, sure, there are plenty of people who weren't happy about that for one particular reason. Right. But I thought that would be great. But I actually... I love the idea of getting like a real physical, right. like, badass, like a John Wick type version right. of James Bond. But, That's what Tom Hardy would do. But the only reason why I would say that Idris Elba couldn't do it, again, is age. Yeah. Like he could do it no, now, sure, but in sure. 15 years when he's making number five, yeah. you know. It'd be rough. No, you're... You you could not have picked that role. So Never. all of you, all of you racists who don't <laughs> want Idris Elba because he's black, you can now just say, that. oh, it's because he's too old. Right, right. But no, genuinely, like he would be a great Bond for a couple of uh, movies now. Right, but right. He, but he wouldn't be. Uh, if, you, if you're going to do five, uh, that's what I think. Five and five movies across 15 years are the magic bond numbers. So you've got to take that in account into account with how old the actor is that you're casting now. Well, that's something we haven't done with the last two bonds. Is we want to see Bond grow throughout his career. You know, so that's what you would get. You would get a you know up and coming Bond with Tom Hardy now, and then by the end of his career, he'd be in the Daniel Craig. I'm a little bit older, but I still kick some ass version. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Which I feel like Sean Connery always was. Absolutely. Especially when he came back for the best Bond ever in 1983 and was arguably too old, but still great, never say never again. Which is why, if you've not listened to our previous podcast, well, exclusive news, that is the Bond movie that Daniel Craig is remaking. You got that thrill coming. I can't wait. Woo! Yeah! Um, Lux and Shaw message uh, one other thing on the, uh, the, 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 the Bond subject. Um, 
he's uh, listened to some of my radio shows and I, I forgot when we were doing the Sean Connery tribute that I do have, even if I say so myself, a great Roger Moore story. Uh, as a side note, by the way, as someone who's not had a drink in 18 months, my memory since sober is so much worse than it was when I was drinking all the time. I guarantee if I'd have got through half a bottle of Jack Daniels the night before we recorded our Sean Connery tribute, Roger Moore's story would have been front of mind. But it takes a listener who probably heard me do it on air when Roger Moore died, which was, what, two, three years ago, to go, oh, you should have done your Roger Moore story alongside the Sean Connery tribute. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. You'd think the booze would... Uh, hurt the story. I've noticed this way, way, way more. One of my friends has got a theory, hi Fran, if you're listening, that it's actually rubbish that I the 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 the, the sobriety has made my memory worse. She just thinks that I forgot way more because I was drunk, and now I remember more. But by virtue of that fact, I it seems like I forget more. Does that now you're all expert math? You know who could work that math out? One of those election night coverage people. So what you're telling me is if a train leaves Los Angeles going 13 miles per hour, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Lux and Shaw reminded me. Um, and this kind of isn't my Roger Moore story. It's a friend of mine who used to work for the BBC. But it does, uh, I like to tell this story that it was only a year after he made A View to a Kill, but I think it actually might have been quite a while after it. But my whole thing of he was too old to be in that movie is kind of along these lines. So my friend uh, interviewed Roger Moore because he was doing a spoken word tour. And she used to work for the BBC and he came in to promote the spoken word tour and uh, admitted to her that at this point, his memory was starting to fade. But I think he still had the wherewithal to know that his memory was letting him down. Which, when you think about it, like, dementia is a terrible thing. But the worst point, like, when you're pissing and shitting yourself and you don't realize that you're doing it, that's right. one thing. When you know your mind's going and you're going to get to that point, that's, that's the, you know, the, the, the worst time I would, I would have thought. If pissing and shitting yourself without knowing is what dementia is like, I may not have polio. <laughs> So Roger Moore is doing this spoken word tour, right? But he knows that his memory is starting to let him down. So he told my friend who was interviewing him that he has an assistant who stands on the side of the stage while Roger Moore is doing his raconteur bit, right? To remind Roger Moore of his own stories. And Roger Moore has sort of a safe word that he says in the middle of the story that alerts the person on the side of the stage that they need to run on and basically remind Roger Moore of his own memories. So in the middle of a show, Roger Moore will say a word and his assistant or whatever comes running out in the middle of the show, whispers something in his ear and leaves. Yes, because, okay. because Roger Moore at this point is aware that shitting his pants is forthcoming, but he's not <laughs> quite doing it at the moment. I would suggest at this point, he's not wearing white trousers just as a precaution. Right, like he's, <laughs> he's Hershey squirting. He's not full on deucing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, by the way, none of that did he admit to my friends. Just the, just the safe word bit. With the rest of this, is just pure conjecture for the, for the benefit of this podcast. Sorry, Roger. <laughs> It's all right. He's dead. He's upstairs now arguing with, with Sean Connery. Yeah. Going like, 
Can you believe it? They're saying that I did a spoken word tour where I shit myself. And Sean Connery's going, well, when they did the tribute to me, all they did was talk about me being a wife beater. <laughs> um, what else is there? So anyway, he uh, he's on stage, right? And um, I tend not to do impressions because I can't do them, but I think I do a relatively good Roger Moore because I've practiced it anytime. I'm at the airport to fly back to Shitsville because it's an 11 hour flight to go back to the UK. I become overtly British to any of the airline staff in the hope they might give me an upgrade. And the best way, if anyone's gonna be charmed by the Britishness of me, is for me to become less me and more Roger Moore, okay? <laughs> so this is the voice that, uh, I'm, I can't fly back anytime soon, obviously, because of uh, COVID. But if you hear this voice at, um, DFW Airport anytime soon, please upgrade me. It'll be, it'll, it'll be me. But for the purposes of this reenactment, and the, the key thing about this story is, is not so much the whole scene that I've now set for you about Roger Moore's spoken word tour, it's what the safe word is that he has to say in the middle of a story, right? So for argument's sake, this is how it would go. So, uh, it was 1973. Live and Let Die has been a huge success. And they say, Roger, Roger, come back for more. We have this script. It's called The Man with the Golden Gun. It was written for Sean Connery. He said he didn't want to do it, but we think it would be a fantastic Bond movie and a great sophomore effort from yourself. And the best thing is, we have a very famous actor who's going to play the man with the golden gun, who would be a great adversary to James Bond. So, the man with the golden gun was going to be uh, played by... Um, uh, uh, Daisy! <laughs> That's his safe word! <laughs> so, it's so hidden, you would never even notice it. <laughs> Daisy! Was, was, at which point, the guy from the wings of the theatre where he's doing a spoken word show would run on and say in Roger Moore's ear, Christopher Lee. Yes, it was going to be played by Christopher Lee, and then he'd carry on with the story, but the, the, that's the safe word. Oh... Uh, Daisy! Why Daisy? I don't know! <laughs> First of all, in that situation, he's already calling for help. He doesn't need a safe word. The audience can see the person running in the, and telling the, the him. Guy, the guy who's the, the, uh, the, the assistant from the side of the stage, just uh, he whispers into Roger Moore's ear, Christopher Lee was the man with the golden gun. Then bends over slightly and goes, yeah, you're still smelling good back there. I don't think you shit yourself yet. Carry on. <laughs> you know, it would have been so much easier if he was like, and the person who co-starred in the movie was, Tim, come over here and tell me who the person was. I forgot because I am old. So um, it might be that the, uh, you know, my theory that my memory is way worse since I stopped drinking could actually be just just terrible. I might have the early stages of dementia. That'll teach me for ridiculing <laughs> Roger Moore and Sean Connery. Right. So I think from now on, this is our new safe word. If we're doing a story 
and uh, suddenly I lose my train of thought. You need to pick it up and I'll just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad, uh, uh, you know, we didn't always get on because I missed an episode of Knight Rider because there was this annual event that he didn't allow us to celebrate when my sister and I were uh, kids. And that annual event was Daisy. (laughs) I think it'll work. I think that has to be the go-to. It'll see... I think the audience at this point will understand. Uh, it's, just, it's like a, it's like a comma for. I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you, yeah, comma. That's a nice way of putting <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> it's like it's a little throwing. Uh, I'll say one last thing though. So that is actually quite funny about Roger Moore. So obviously by this point he's very old because he's telling this. Uh, this by the way, this is a BBC interview to, pro- and this is one that's told t- told in private. This is on mic to promote his spoken word show. So he's let it like buy tickets. Because because you can see at the points at which I'm losing my mind, I'll go, Daisy. It's like going to Lennon Skinner's show and shouting Freebird. Like, <laughs> like, right? No one cares about a view to a kill. Show us Daisy. Right, exactly. But my friend did say that even though he was obviously clearly very old and the, and the mind was failing, he was still the most charming person a la James Bond. So I guess he's probably like 80 by this point. He's doing the spoken word tour. But she she said that at one point, and I, 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 can't, I, I can't remember which Bond girl it was, but she probably asked him like, who was your favorite Bond girl? And in a very Roger Moore, James Bond way, my friend's name is Sam, right? And um, he says to her, whichever Bond girl it was, and he goes, I mean, as soon as I, I met her, there was just a frisson. I don't even know what that means. It's <laughs> not a word. Yeah, well, but it's okay because Roger Moore, James, see, this is what I mean about Tom Hardy's James Bond needs to be more convincing. He can't go around making up vocabulary. Well, Tom Hardy's James Bond isn't going to say a word. That's kind of his MO. He's just going to be that menacing. Yeah. So anyway, so he goes, uh, he goes, oh, Sam, um, as soon as I met, insert name, favorite Bond girl here. See, my memory's gone. I can't remember which one it was. Um, it was Daisy. There was, <laughs> there was just a frisson between us. I mean, much like there is between you and I at the moment, Sam. Oh, it was pre-Me Too. And then they banged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he got like two minutes into it and went, Daisy! <laughs> Where, where his assistant came and said, you continue fucking her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lux and Shaw, was that a good enough recount of my Roger Moore story? <laughs> I think we America today. Uh, keep the votes coming for Song of the Week. And uh, anything else, if you want to write to us, you can. If you want to speak to us, you can. Uh, just go to didyouamerica.com. Uh, it's all there. Didn't even get round to um, speaking about the Starbucks cups or any. Oh, we've got a great. On Monday's episode, we must do the weed story out of San Antonio because that's good. So I know a lot of people from Texas are listening because it's the great state and the last place I got fired from. So, you know, they're there. So we will uh, get around to that. And um, was there anything else? No, I just, I demand a recount for Song of the Week. But other than that, I think we're good. Stop the counts!